we are again, coming to you from MLEX's Brussels offices with yet another podcast. Today, to quote former Italian Prime Minister Giulio Andreotti, we're dealing with the convergence of parallel lines. The Dieselgate scandal has been bubbling away for quite some time now, and we've been covering it essentially as an energy story. In other words, what do the emissions cheating devices installed in Volkswagen cars mean for the EU's environmental policy settings. And MLEX has deliberately steered clear of the consumer rights angle, much as though it has certainly been part of the backdrop of our energy reporting. Recently, though, things have started to evolve. Firstly, Dieselgate appears to be moving beyond Volkswagen. And secondly, the controversy is now making its way into the realm of antitrust. An initial investigation by German competition authorities into possible collusion among car companies and the purchase of steel now appears to be looking much further afield, and this is the chance EU regulators won't want to miss. Until now, the EU hasn't been able to get physical with the Dieselgate affair because it has been largely a national competence, but antitrust is different. Laurel Henning is a senior energy reporter in Brussels. Lewis Crofts is our chief global correspondent covering competition policy and enforcement. Hello, both. Hi, James. Now, Laurel, let's uh, set the scene from an energy perspective. The Commission has recently become vocal in its dealings with national transport ministers on Dieselgate. What's been going on? What does the Commission want from them? It's a case of increasing frustration on the part of the European Commission. So this is a scandal that was unveiled almost two years ago, uh, this coming September. It will will have been two years. And since that point, the European Commission has been trying to get national regulators to dig into exactly what was happening, exactly how many cars are involved in this emissions cheating scandal. So earlier this month, Elisabetta Biankowska wrote to uh, European transport ministers to say and express this frustration and part of that letter that she sent um, included the idea that if the pace continued to be this slow that a European agency to look into this is sort of an an inevitable consequence. That'll put the fear of God into them, the the prospect of another European agency to look into this but what kind of things would that European agency actually do? I mean how would this uh, give the European Commission some leverage on this front? So I think my understanding is that this would take care of the the overarching investigation, but also would look at the way that um, vehicles are approved at national level as well for the market. But the reality, though, at the moment is that the EU is largely powerless on this front. I mean, there's a limit, uh, given the current circumstances, there's a limit to what the European Union can do. That's exactly what European commissioners have said. They've said our job is to create this legislation and then to leave national governments to implement the policies. Our job is not to interfere now that this has happened. Um, So they think they're doing all they can, all they can. uh, But indeed, yeah, that's sort of as far as they go. And reading between the lines of the letter, essentially, Essentially, uh, the European Commission is accusing national governments of not doing what they should be doing, which is getting these cars off the road and acting decisively. Now, the the implication of that is that perhaps their relationship with the uh, car manufacturers is a little bit too cosy. I think that's a fair assumption to make, indeed. Yeah. So, Lewis, uh, if on an energy front the Commission's hands are tied, not so at the moment on the antitrust front. Obviously, nothing has happened yet, but the Commission seems to be taking quite seriously the prospect of getting involved. At what level would it get involved and how would it go about doing that? So, the European Commission oversees cartels or cartel enforcement Europe-wide, 
And what it's seen or what appears to have happened is there's a cartel investigation going on in Germany. The German competition authority back in July last year conducted some raids um, at major car manufacturers like Volkswagen, Daimler and so forth to look into the way they purchase steel, um, assuming perhaps that they are agreeing purchasing prices. One doesn't know exactly. Now, what seems to have happened is that has put the wind up some of the uh, car manufacturers and they started to make broader disclosures about broader collusion or cooperation in many, many working groups which they have across the whole industry. Why would they be making these disclosures? Well, the most normal thing that happens is when you get raided uh, or when you get involved in a cartel investigation is you instruct your lawyers, go and look under every single rock, go and look in every, in every cupboard, in every drawer and make sure there's nothing else there. And so what often happens is, well, you might get an investigation which starts into product X, in this instance, steel, uh, you might go and have a look in your drawers and you think, oh, actually, we're up to something a bit dodgy on product Y. In this instance, there's been reports of it being the, uh, the, the, the roofs on Cabriolet cars. And it's not doesn't take long, often in, in cartel investigations, for it to domino and go from one product to the next. And suddenly the European Commission or, or the German authority is looking at three, four, five, six markets rather than just the initial one they started in. And the implication here is that this might be in some way related to Dieselgate. Now, the suggestion there is obviously if there is an element of collusion among car companies, it means that firstly, we're talking something that goes beyond Volkswagen, but secondly, that they might have been sitting around a table and talking quite openly about these devices. Yeah, so um, what the suspicion is, is they've been sitting around tables talking about technical standards and, and equipment, and that's the most normal thing. It's also completely legal. Um, and they have, I think, 60 working groups in the, in the German car industry to look into, you know, one would imagine everything from catalytic converters to, you know, the girth of a windscreen wiper, or, you know, there's, there's, there's hundreds of things that need to be looked into. Um, and one of those working groups would be looking into the tanks which uh, use this ad blue fluid, which is key to the um, uh, diesel gate or the diesel emission uh, processing. And obviously this is the one which has caught the headlines. And this gives the European Commission the opportunity to land a glove on this um, sector, which Laurel has explained has been difficult for them over the last few years. But the collusion could go much wider. Nevertheless, enforcers do face the tough decision of at what point in these technical discussions which are entirely legal because what we would want what do we want from our car manufacturers we want them to make good products we want them to advance we want new innovative things in any way that they're going to do that is if they can sit together and agree uh, to an extent on technical standards the gray zone where that becomes cartel conduct is 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 tricky and that's what the investigators will have to look into just remind listeners who might not be familiar with the processes at, at what stage and why will this become an eu matter as distinct for something for regulators in germany well the european commission has the right to take any case that it wants uh, that is at a national level. And it usually does that when the national case becomes of cross-border importance. And in this instance, it's not um, beyond the realms of imagination to understand that these car makers sell cars all around the block, and therefore it can become an issue for the European Commission. The European Commission can also say we've got the expertise in this because uh, we have a much um, uh, broader information gathering powers. Uh, this is a case of such size and magnitude that we need um, our resources to properly prosecute it. So 
It doesn't. It, it does happen quite frequently. And more importantly, the European Commission has uh, certain powers when it comes to enforcing uh, antitrust and competition, which they uh, do not necessarily have in other policy areas. So they've got the power, for example, to impose massive fines, which can really make a difference. Exactly. This is antitrust has long been the uh, biggest, baddest stick in the um, Commission's cupboard. And I should think there might be some rather happy officials or some rather happy commissioners who have seen this um, scandal escape them year on year and been unable to, as I said, land a, land a punch on it. And now it's coming into their sort of the sweet spot of their powers, which is a, they have the powers to force information to be handed over, to raid these people, to find out exactly what's going on, and B, they have the powers to impose fines and make it hurt. The one thing they don't have is the power to move swiftly in these things. Now, the analysis that uh, you and Laurel have been uh, have written recently talks about the issue of timing and the problem that is faced with the fact that often when uh, the EU and EU regulators get started in an investigation, you know, glacial is the adjective most uh, commonly used to describe the the pace. Uh, what what are the implications there? I mean, how long could this take? Uh, it takes years. Uh, there's no cartel investigation which has lasted, I imagine, shorter than a couple of years. But, but the political atmospherics of this are that uh, people are clamouring for, for action, and so that might not be forthcoming. Um, take a comparison of the banking crisis. The people and the politicians were clamouring for action against the banks for having having fixed these benchmark interest rates. It still it took a couple of years to go through. These are highly technical cases. There's lots of information that has to be, has to be gathered. What the investigators can hope for is that the companies play ball. They submit confessions, they submit um, information, they make life easier for the investigators. Even in those instances, it can still take a couple of years because they will have the rights of defence. These are serious allegations. These are procedures which could lead to hundreds of millions in fines. And even though you might want that to go as swift as possible, for example, you still need to tell them what the allegations are, give them a chance to see the evidence against them, give them a chance to rebut these, these, these cases. And because, as I said, some of these things might be either A, very technical, or B, very, very broad. If the Commission chooses to go for just the diesel part, they can narrow it down and maybe move more quickly. But if they choose to look at much, many, uh, a broader number of uh, technical working groups, it could take longer. Then you know these we're looking at a serious amount of months, you know, if not years, to reach a conclusion. Laurel, this raises the prospect of the EU's infringement proceedings on emissions, which has, that that process has been kick-started, that they might actually move faster than any possible antitrust action. So as Lewis said, on the antitrust side, I think the Commission's pretty much at a fork in the road. Do you take the sort of headline-grabbing? diesel action or do you wait and see how how widespread this possible collusion is um, however long that takes I think the action on the antitrust side will probably be as I said the headline grabbing outcome of this case um, however in terms of speed um, the ongoing infringement cases which so far are outstanding uh, against Germany Greece Luxembourg Spain and the United Kingdom which it's worth noting has brought out its own air quality uh, legislation about how it's going to ban diesel cars and petrol cars by 2040. Um, so these outstanding infringement procedures against uh, these five EU countries may well move faster but their outcome will probably be less interesting and less consumer focused than um, the antitrust cases that Lewis is talking about. 
Okay, this is clearly something for us to ponder and intellectualise over the summer holidays as we bask in the sun, but uh, Laurel and Lewis, thank you very much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Laurel Henning is a senior energy reporter in Brussels. Lewis Crofts is our chief global correspondent covering competition policy and enforcement. Their analysis on the involving Dieselgate landscape is titled Diesel Scandal Reaches Fever Pitch But Outcomes Will Be Slow. I'm James Paniki, and on behalf of everyone here at MLEX's Brussels Bureau, thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.